I believe that we can heal by sharing our truths and connecting with one another. I believe that holding in our shame and living a life that isn't true to ourselves is the root cause of anxiety and depression. When we allow ourselves to truly connect with our heart and acknowledge our truth, then we are set free. Free to live a life of joy and peace, a life without guilt or shame. And so that's why I wanted to create a show called She Speaks Her Truth. Join me as I talk with other women who are stepping into their power and sharing their truth so they can be set free on a path of healing. Eight years ago, I left my marriage with three kids and two dogs. I was drowning in anxiety and depression, and I needed to find a way to heal and learn to love myself again. She Speaks Her Truth is about figuring out who you really are and what truths you need to uncover to set yourself free. This is an anonymous space for women to share their stories of pain, heartbreak, and healing. It's a place to know that you are not alone on this journey and to be inspired to connect to your heart so you can live the life you are meant to. Every week I'll be coming to you to share stories of my own and to talk with other women who will inspire you to step into your light. You are not alone. I'm here to create a container of love and connection and I want you to know that you are worthy, you are beautiful, you are stronger than you think, and you matter. My name is Jennifer Robinson. I'm so happy that you're here. Let's get started. Hey there, beauties. I'm your host, Jennifer Robinson, and welcome to the 13th episode of She Speaks Her Truth. This is a show about figuring out who you really are and what truths you need to uncover to set yourself free. It is a place to know that you are not alone on your journey. In today's episode, I will be talking with our guest, Anna. She will be sharing with us her story, and I'm so excited to talk with her but I do want to remind everyone that I'm not a therapist and that the intent of the show is for my guests to speak their truth and share their stories of pain and healing so that you can feel a sense of hope and less alone on your own journey. We are both here to create connection and inspiration and any advice shared is from Anna's own personal experience, but I know you'll get so much from her story. And so without further ado, I'm truly honored to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Anna. I'm so happy to have you join me today. Jennifer, thank you so much for having me. I'm just thrilled to be here. And also, I feel honored to be invited to share my story. And I do hope that it's helpful to others who are listening. So thank you for creating this space, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful. You're welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, so Anna, could you tell us um, a little bit about who you are, maybe what you do? And then after you've done that little intro for us, then you could take us back into your past and through your story um, and the struggles that you've been through and the things that you did to help you to get to a place of healing and where you are now. Sure. Thank you, Jennifer. So uh, my name is Anna, and um, I am 
60 years old. I just turned 60 in April. I have four grown children. I am divorced. I've been divorced for um, almost 10 years now. Uh, currently, I work as an office manager at an environmental law firm, but I've also been exploring my passion, which is baking. So I have um, a fun YouTube and Instagram page for uh, baking videos. So um, I live in central Virginia and um, I love being with friends and doing fun things. I'm very extroverted and um, yeah, I love hiking, love the outdoors, love taking vacations. I think mm. the world is opening back up and we'll yeah. be able to do more of that. Yes, I can't um, wait. <laughs> I know. So that's just a little sort of nutshell about me. Um and I'd love to, you know, sort of take you all through my journey. Um, so I will go ahead and just yeah. launch right in, Jennifer. That would be okay. beautiful. Thank you. Um, so I got married when I was um, 23 um, and uh, sort of uh, was very hopeful and young and I would say naive and um, married a man that was uh, at the time, I felt was a very good match for me. We were both Christians. Um, I was so hopeful that he was the right person for me. And so we married. And um, I would say pretty soon after we married, I started to notice some um, signs of um, just some odd behavior, some um, depression and and just things that I didn't realize before I married him. But um, in any case, you know, we we started having children. We had our first child about two years into our marriage. And then our second child a couple of years after that. And then uh, the third and fourth came pretty soon thereafter. So um, I'm a young mom with four kids. and. Um, Realizing that my husband's um, behavior is somewhat unusual, there are periods of sort of um, extreme sort of activity, not sleeping very much, mm -hmm. you know, um, just very sort of pressured to get a lot done, um, alternating with periods of depression. And at the time I was fairly naive, Jennifer, I just didn't really know that maybe this was um, signs of a mental illness. I just mm -hmm. didn't know. Um, well, I would imagine you but, were extremely focused and busy with four young kids. Very, very busy um, and focused with the four young kids. So, you know, so we, I was going through this sort of wondering if this was, you know, if, if this was unusual behavior, if there was anything I could do about it, feeling just sort of uneasy at times. Um, and then as we went along and the years went by, he was eventually diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And that was about seven or eight years into the marriage. And at that point, I felt like very hopeful that now we have a diagnosis and, you know, we can work on this together and, you know, 
he could get into some sort of, you know, treatment. I wouldn't necessarily say a cure, but a treatment that he would stick with and things would improve. But um, that wasn't exactly the case. And I do want to say at this point, Jennifer, I feel like, you know, my situation with him as someone who is bipolar, you know, I know that there are a lot of people out there who are diagnosed with bipolar disorder, who do seek treatment, Mm -hmm. who do manage it really well. But for us, that was not the case. Mm -hmm. So um, we went for years with very extreme spending um, and, you know, extreme activity, like running around planning. He would plan these music festivals and like bring all these strange people to the house and be out to all hours of the morning and I wouldn't know where he was and and you know when he was like that he became irritable and abusive and it was verbal abuse emotional abuse and um and I would just sort of pray that things would settle down and and sadly I would actually be relieved when I could tell he was coming down and we're talking about months and months of this sort of behavior it wasn't like you know a few days he'd be up and then a few days he'd be down he Mm -hmm. would be up for long periods of time Mm -hmm. and it caused a lot of financial damage um, for our family Mm -hmm. Uh, we got into serious debt because of this um And I would actually feel a sense of relief when I knew he was sort of coming down and then he would enter into a depression. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but that was extremely difficult too, because, you know, I didn't really have a partner. It seemed like he was either extremely up or he was depressed. And Mm -hmm. so I sort of carried the load of taking care of the kids and the house and I feel like, you know, every year I put up the Christmas tree by myself, you know, mm-hmm. because he was either extremely manic or depressed. Mm-hmm. And um, the one year he did help with that. It's like he yelled at me a good part of the time. And I thought, I'm just never going to do this with him again, <laughs> you know? So, um, so I would, you know, in all of this too, I think I've also realized that he was quite a narcissist. And I've done a lot of reading about that as well. I mean, at the time, I didn't really know to put a name on this, right? But Mm -hmm. I think um, a narcissist can be very manipulative. um, And they can see people as sort of their um, pawns and, and and things to manipulate. Um, And so I felt like I was sort of walking on eggshells. So I kind of learned to put myself on the back burner because I was in survival mode. And, um, you know, there were situations where he was verbally abusive to our children. And it was very difficult for me to stand up to him. Um, I was afraid and um, I feel like, you know, trying to sort of intervene in his behavior or even try to stop it was like 
standing in front of a, a train and trying to stop it. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I pretty much gave up, like, um, and I felt very um, dumbed down emotionally. I felt numb. Yeah. And um, as I look back on it, Jennifer, I feel very sad that I wasn't there to protect my children more. Um, but, you know, through therapy, I've come to realize that I was also suffering and yeah. um, we were all suffering at the hands of his behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I turned, you know, fast forward, kids have gone to college, the older two, the younger two are still at home. We take a beach vacation, which we try to do every year. And um, his behavior was just off the chain, extremely manic. And um, the morning we were to leave the beach house, I woke up early. I knew we obviously knew we had to pack up and get ready to leave that day. And he greeted me in the kitchen at like 6 a.m. that morning and just started screaming at me, you know, about four inches from my face. And um, it was at that point that I realized and just my internal voice just said this is it this is the final straw and I will never be in a position for you to yell at me like this again ever and so it was just a really insane day like we he made all of us empty our suitcases into plastic garbage bags so he could more easily pack the car And I just remember this day as just being so scary and emotional. And I remember telling the kids, just do what he's telling you to do. We just have to get out of here. And so we all emptied our clothing into garbage bags so that he could pack it in the suburban around all of the things he had bought that week at the beach, which was filling up the the, the back of the third seat of the car Mm -hmm. and um so after we got home I started looking for a place to live for me and my children my younger two daughters who were still living at home and um and was that place to rent was that something that he was aware of or that's something you were doing quietly on your own he was not aware so I was Mm -hmm. I had made this decision and did not let him know. And mm-hmm. so I started searching for a place to rent, went to see a couple of places. It had to be in the same school district. So that was a requirement. And I uh, was very lucky to find a place in our school district. It was an old farmhouse on a farm. And I put money down as a deposit for this house to rent. And, uh, and then I started the process of moving some things into this house without him knowing it. Um, and that was just a very difficult time of my life, as you can imagine. I mean, I'm, he worked as a nurse um, at night. So he worked the night shift. So after he would go to work, I might take a little load mm-hmm. to the house. Or when he was sleeping during the day, I would take a load to the house and these were things that maybe he wouldn't notice were missing like you know start taking my clothing uh, I wasn't taking like furniture or anything obviously but um 
a friend of mine is a, a family law attorney and she advised me to pack up my small valuables and get them out of there, mm -hmm. such as jewelry, silver. Um, and she also advised me to um, get important papers out of the house, like passports, um, birth certificates, social security cards, make sure I had those in my possession before I left. So I did that. I actually took those to my office and locked them up you know, or kept them in my office. So there was just no chance he could, you know, find out where I was living and come in and take anything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so did that. And then I pulled my daughters aside and said, let's go for a drive. And we got in the car and I shared the news with them that I was leaving their father and that I hoped they would come with me. And at that point, my younger two kids were in high school. They were 16 and 17. Mm -hmm. And um, the youngest said, Mom, I can't believe it took you this long. Mm. So that was her reaction. You know, I think the kids know, obviously, and they can see that things are extremely difficult, and not good. Was there ever um, a fear when you were making these decisions um, to make a plan for yourself that you're worried that the kids would wonder like mom like what are you doing like you're leaving dad like because i think our perceptions um i myself went through a divorce and the things that i thought in my head um i thought were different from what the kids and i think as parents we don't realize how perceptive the kids are and they're, they see a lot more than we think they do. So was that, were you feeling that same way? Um, I felt like I didn't have a ton of time to sort of think it through, mm. but I will say I was very worried that they may decide not to go with me, mm -hmm. you know, because that to me was um, essential. <laughs> that they come with me. And, mm -hmm. but again, at age 16 and 17, you know, they, they have to decide for themselves, but mm -hmm. I, was, I guess Jennifer, I was pretty confident that they would, but yes, definitely a bit of a fear that they would be scared to come with me or may need to feel like they need to stay back with their father to take care of him on some level. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very thankful that they did decide to come along um so we went to the house and went in of course they started as kids do i want this room i want that room yeah. so they were, they were like hey this is really nice so you know that was such a blessing for me that they were amenable and that they could sort of visualize this for themselves that the house seemed okay it was close enough to their high school um that they were you know fighting over who got what bedroom i mean that all <laughs> resiliency kind of normal and good yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um but we you know after i did that i then um decided that i needed to get a restraining order um when i moved out because i really didn't know what to expect from my husband at the time um he was so his behavior had been so extreme and, and the anger he displayed at that beach house was scary to me. And so 
I did go to the courthouse. I did talk to the judge. I was able to get a temporary restraining order, which was for two weeks. And um, so at that point, I went to a friend's house probably like the next day and called my husband at the time and let him know what was going on. I said, I'm leaving. I found a place to rent and I'm gonna be moving in to that house. I'm going to take some of the furniture, but not all. And I've also gotten a restraining order for you. And they will probably serve those papers to you in the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, you know, it was fair to let him know. <laughs> Even yes. though I was very scared to make that phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever done, for sure. Um And I do remember in that moment telling him it's going to be okay. Like I still felt in that moment, like I had to sort of soothe him, um, which was a sort of, you know, part of my job as his wife was to sort of calm him down and Mm -hmm. soothe him and sort of be that influence in his life. So even in that moment, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was telling him it's all going to be okay. You know, Um, can I, can I talk a little bit more about that? Just, um, mm-hmm. as far as I think we, we had talked earlier and, um, you had talked about how there was like, I don't know if it's the word, right word is guilt, but like, I, I know of other women who've had to leave a relationship where there was, um, whether it's mental health issues or not, or the, their partner was narcissist, but there was emotional abuse. And some of them have said that it took them so much longer to leave. And in my case as well, because there was guilt because I knew that I felt like, how can I leave when this person really isn't in a mentally healthy, emotional state, but I just can't do it anymore. And I think that makes us stay longer. And I think that a lot of women are people pleasers and there's that caregiver part of us. And I just want other listeners that are, if they're going through something like that, to understand that, like, we get it and it can be really difficult. And I think that's where the piece of self-love really comes in. You finally get to that point where you say, I feel so guilty to leave this relationship. This person is horrible to me, but they're also not really well but I have to do what's right for me. And I think, I feel like sometimes you can almost still love someone because you've been with them perhaps a very long time and there's lots of history, but at the same time, they cannot be good for you and your, your mental health. Can you speak about that a little bit? Did you have those same feelings? Oh, Oh, what a, yeah, absolutely. Jennifer. So, um, I could speak a long time on that. (laughs) You know, I remember running into a friend of mine in the grocery store and she's like well you know if you don't love him anymore then yeah then I think you should leave and it just really struck me because it really wasn't a question of love it was much more about my own health and well-being you know like you just said you can still love somebody um but you realize that this marriage relationship is actually hurting you you know and I felt like I had gotten to that point and probably had been there a long time where um 
this relationship was causing me anxiety and near depression. And, but yet I stayed because I felt like my role was to sort of be that stabilizing influence in his Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And of course for my children. Um, So it is very hard to move past that and realize that, you know, I'm pulling the rug out from under him. Yeah. You know, he has no idea that this is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, when he gets depressed again, it's going to be a very scary situation because I won't be there mm-hmm. to sort of support him through that. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so there is, there is absolutely some guilt that goes along with yeah. that. Um, so definitely something that needs to be addressed and worked through with Mm -hmm. you know close friends or therapists Mm um you know I got to a point Jennifer where I didn't like who I was in this relationship either I had become anxious and controlling you know so I had gotten to a point where I wanted to see him take his meds you know I wanted to force him to do it and watch Mm -hmm. him do it And that is a role that I didn't want to be in. You know, I don't want to be controlling like that. I don't want to be someone's babysitter. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and that to me was just my way of trying to help the situation. Um, But I really didn't like the person I'd become, Mm -hmm. you know, anxious and controlling. Um, It was, it had, I mean, I stayed too long, um, Mm. but there were reasons why I stayed. So I definitely have a lot of compassion for myself, you know, and I don't beat myself up over that. Mm -hmm. No. Right. I hear you. It's just something I really wanted to bring up because I finding that it's been a common um, piece of some women who have stayed in their relationship for a long time, which I did. And I've been able to really come along in my healing. I was very angry for a long time, Um, but I've come to a place for myself of forgiveness to my ex. Yeah. Um, And I mean, that takes a long place to get there. And that forgiveness was for myself so that I could gain my power back and, um, and know that even though right now he's, still on his own struggling journey as a empathic person who's very heart-centered yeah. I want I still cared about him and for my relationship we were together a long time he we were met as teenagers and I realized um not too long ago that I think I still have a piece of me that loves him but it right and I think that that can always be there still be there for someone even as awful as things that were said and he had said to me there's still those that history but it wasn't healthy it wasn't a Mm -hmm. healthy relationship and it wasn't good for the kids to see and I always say that how you um love yourself teaches others how to love you um but sometimes that person that you're with there are some other pieces to their personality that you you can't fix and you can't like is right so 
I think that's a big piece of it is the guilt. The guilt kept me for much longer. And so I was wondering if you had that part as well. Um, yes. Like you say, you're at a point where you feel like you've given yourself compassion and love. And that's a big piece of the healing. And um, I think that that yeah. comes with time and therapy, right? Absolutely. You know, um, it was just very scary for me at the time to just leave him as I did. It was just a very scary thing. Um, and I'm a very empathetic person too. And I, I think sometimes I get myself into trouble because I tend to, in this situation, had, didn't have empathy for myself. Um, so I feel like that was a learning as well. You know, you have to take care of yourself, like you just said, mm -hmm. um, and have those boundaries. So others, you know, don't yes. mistreat you. The boundaries, uh, yes. But when you're, it's so complicated though in marriage, you know, cause you can't just like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm getting out, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. you know, it's very complex, very complicated. Um, and they're, like you said, they're, even in a dysfunctional and sometimes abusive relationship, there was still some love there and tearing that apart mm -hmm. was really difficult. You mm -hmm. know, um, it's, it's like the fabric of our souls had been mm -hmm. entwined and you rip that apart yeah. and it's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, even though it was dysfunctional and yeah. abusive. Um, mm -hmm it's still very difficult to do that. It's, you know, I, the first year after I left was, you know, I just felt a little sick the entire year. Like at night, my stomach would hurt really bad. I needed to get, um, I used sleeping pills every now and then mm -hmm. to help me sleep because I wasn't mm -hmm. sleeping. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, it was physically, you know, I felt sick for almost a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it was difficult, but I had to go through it. And um, I had a lot of friends who, this was an interesting thing. I had some close friends who kind of fled <laughs> and weren't <laughs> there. And that was kind of a learning for me and very painful. People don't I know how some, to take it. Yeah. They don't know what to say. They don't, they just don't They're know. Fun. And they bring their own sort of history and baggage mm -hmm. to your story yes. and sort of, you know, maybe try to protect your husband because that's what they did with their own father when their parents separated. There's mm -hmm. just, people have like their own stories and baggage. And yes. At the time it was very painful though. I had two close friends who sort of went and supported him, which was so odd, but, um, I had other people, Jennifer, who swooped in and were just so there for me, you know, that were so patient with me too, because I really needed to talk and they would just say it over and over again without getting frustrated or impatient with me. You know, like one thing I had a very hard time with was the fact that, you know, he was saying that I was ruining his relationship with the children. Mm -hmm. And my friends, these friends swooped in, they were like, his relationship with his children is between him and the children. This is not your responsibility. Yes. And they must have said that they counseled me on that for at least a year. Like, this is not your responsibility. This is mm -hmm. his responsibility to, mm -hmm. to work on his relationship with his children. 
yes. they weren't like eight and 10. They were, you know, 16, young 17. adults. They were 22 mm-hmm. and 24. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, but he did try to make me feel very guilty about that. And yeah. um, so his. I was sort of bearing a lot of this, you know, obviously his anger. Mm-hmm. And because my old role was to sort of soothe him and it was just a very, it was extremely tough, but mm-hmm. I had friends to lean on and they were so fantastic and helpful. And I also went to a counselor for that first year and mm-hmm. uh, that was helpful too. Um, and I'm still in counseling. It's a different person, but mm-hmm. I find it to be very, very helpful. to have well, We're therapy. always, um, you've come out of this experience, like you're so far ahead now, but I always say that we're, we're always healing. We're always learning to love ourselves a little more. The, the work is never really fully done. Um, but I no. think it's, it's beautiful that you had those friends that you could talk with. Not everybody has that. And so if someone doesn't have yeah. um, someone they can talk it out with, it's important that you find like a therapist or cancer. But even nowadays with online there are spaces where you can reach out even if it's someone you see on instagram that talks about um you know divorce or anything you can really like there are a lot of people and there's there are spaces that will say send me a dm like just find someone to talk to because i think that's a big piece of it right and absolutely yeah i understand that it took you a year of saying the same thing over and over because I get that what happens with people don't realize when you're in an abusive relationship it becomes your norm and so that's kind of like normal life to you until that click finally happens when you're ready to go but it, it takes a lot of untraining in the way your body feels and your brain starts thinking for you to be out of that relationship for it takes time and yes um I it makes sense that you felt sick every night because you now had shocked your system into a completely different environment and experience. And even though before there was, you know, mental health and and abuse and stuff, it was what your life was used to. So something completely different, it feels shocking to our system. So we're having to relearn. Um, So, but I'm thankful that you did have those, those friends of yours that you could talk to. Cause that's really important. Me too. They were so patient, Jennifer. They really were. I'm like, mm. you know, you're sick of hearing me say this <laughs> again. Um, yeah. But one, you know, I found this to be an interesting visual, you know, I think it was my therapist that said this, you know, he, my ex-husband was, was like a, a balloon that was blown around in the wind. And I was the person on the ground holding the string to the balloon mm. and I will let that string go. Mm. And I really, really like that mental picture. Um, and the hard part of course, is to see that without someone holding that string, he is now like, just yeah. like really off the chain and um, no one there to sort of ground him. And mm-hmm. I had to give that up, you know, yeah. I let go of that string. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine that would be, that is very difficult part. And that's what comes with, though, you realizing that you were worthy of having a safe and yes. peace 
in your life, right? And so you had to, that's the hard part, putting yourself first. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you had to let go of that balloon as hard as it was. Absolutely. And you know, this is, as I look back on it, Jennifer, I can see that I actually had, this was in the earlier years of our marriage when, you know, I knew there was something unusual or wrong about his behavior or unusual about it. Mm-hmm. And I felt ashamed to tell anyone, like I, I actually felt shame for his behavior, which is, I still don't totally, can't totally make sense of that. Why would I feel shame and try to keep this a secret? But I did. And so I didn't, I probably spent 10 years kind of holding on to this and not sharing my struggles with mm-hmm. others and just soldiering through. Yeah. And it was such a relief to me when I finally started opening up to Mm -hmm. some close friends and just saying, here is what's really going on in my home and in my marriage. And um, I found that to be such a relief just to sort of start talking about it. Yeah. um, And to tell my pastor about it and um, tried so hard to get help. But I, and you and I talked about this, a little bit before mm-hmm. I feel like nobody quite knew how to help us or maybe they just didn't know the whole story like we even went for marriage counseling but I felt at the time like it was just sort of marriage counseling it wasn't like you know we have some bigger more serious problems here yeah. you know and mm-hmm. I felt very frustrated by that um but you know I think they just didn't know the whole story like I would always we would always end up going for marriage counseling when I was at the end of my rope and mm-hmm. he had spent a ton of money and he was very up and, you know, and, and just thought everything was fine. And, um, we just never seemed to be able to get the help we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was kind of frustrating, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it was, it was such a relief to me to open up to people mm-hmm. and start sharing my story at the time and my struggles, Mm -hmm. you know, I just felt so, um, keeping it close to the chest, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like one piece of advice I could give to women who are resonating with your story right now, because, and I've been there and we as well, a number of times, you know, would go do the marriage counseling and I would walk out of there going, what is this? Like, they'd be like, go home and write a list of 10 things you like about each other and come back the next right. time and we'll compare the list. So and I remember thinking, this is not helpful. And he wouldn't even do his homework at the time. I so know. my advice though, when I finally was able to get some therapy that actually was helpful was I did not go to marriage counseling. I went to a therapist on my own. Yeah, And that was the key because then I was able to fully explain without him sitting there because there was a control in the marriage. There was fear for it to really be told. So I, on my own quietly started, I did open up to a friend and I was very lucky. I had this one friend who I could tell, but I didn't tell anybody else really because I was, there was shame. Um, And so on the outside things looked like everything was okay. But I wasn't until I started to see a therapist and I didn't have to see her for very long. And she just practically threw her hands in there and said, like, why are you like, what is going on? And that's my advice to someone is 
if you've tried the marriage counseling and it's not working, you feel like so no one's really helping us. I really advise that you seek therapy by yourself so you can unravel some of the stuff that's that's happening. And then you can oh, decide okay. that that therapist can then advise you whether she recommends you even do marriage counseling or that you're just working on yourself. Because when you really think about it, get down to it, any relationship, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, um, you can't change the other person. Um, So I have mixed feelings about marriage counseling. You can only, you can't make them want to be a certain way. You can only be responsible for your own reactions and your own thoughts and the way that you react to the situation. So I only had control over the way I felt about myself, the way I thought and how I would react when he would react a certain way to me. So if, for us and for me, me just doing therapy on my own was the best thing because when he'd react a certain way, I had then learned some tools in my individual counseling, how I could react, which then often triggered him in another way because he was like this, she's not acting the way she normally would because I was able to just let those um, uh, controlling uh, yeah. gas, gaslighting, um, gaslighting behaviors, those gaslighting behaviors, I wasn't allowed to affect me anymore. And the therapy on my own was the first steps to make me to finally get the comments to say, this isn't healthy. And even though there's an underlying love still for him, this is not healthy for yeah. me or my children there. I'm letting them see what this is, what they're going to think love is supposed to look like now. I know, right. It was the individual therapy that really was a a big key. Two people have to both want the relationship to be healthy for marriage therapy, marriage counseling to work. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my personal belief. That's all. Well, and I, I finally realized too, that he liked the way he was and you just said it, you know, you can't change another person and Mm -hmm. me trying to sort of control you know whether or not he took medication it it's he's got to want that and want to do better Mm -hmm. and um yeah so I finally realized I think he likes the way he is Mm -hmm. and this is um this is fruitless this this is never going to work and I'm you know and I like basically beat my head against the wall for years and years and years thinking Mm -hmm at some point we're going to have a breakthrough and it's all going to get better. And, um, instead everything, things got worse and worse. Um, so, but you know, one other thing I want to mention too, because I'm a Christian, I feel like in the church, there is sort of some shame felt around divorce. So that Mm -hmm. was like this extra level of shame that I sort of, carried um Mm -hmm. and you know and I think in some ways I did it to myself because my pastor was very supportive but I think there is sort of this um level of shame around divorce you know like oh my gosh she's divorced Mm -hmm. um and it's I think it's important to talk about that and address it in the church community because it's not fair I mean um, there are marriages that cannot be saved. And I don't think God created marriage for one person to suffer tremendously. You know, that is mm-hmm. not the purpose of marriage. So I've done a lot of 
thinking and reading about that too. And, um, you know, it's just, I just wanted to mention that Jennifer, you know, Mm -hmm. I think um, if anyone's listening who feels that way, I really encourage them, you know, I wouldn't mind if they even reached out to me because Mm -hmm. I sort of walked myself through this. Yeah. um, And don't feel that shame. Um, So anyway. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, I wasn't um, involved in the church, but I definitely had a lot of shame. You know, I didn't, I didn't want my kids to be from a divorced family. And I think the shame comes from, I think most women tend to be like the, the caretaker, the peacemaker and all that. And I didn't tell people either how bad it was because what if I expressed well here's the big piece once you first say it and tell someone what's going on then you have to own up to it and you're going to have to take action and so if you know deep down in your head you're not ready to take action and whether it's leaving or once you know you release that secret you have to be ready and so I was scared and not ready to make any changes in my marriage I just kept kept hoping and praying that we would get to a, a different every year that would get a little easier as the kids got older and he would change and, and it, right. it just didn't. I was married for 19 years. And um, oh. so I, I understand where the shame comes from. Absolutely. And I think it's yes. a very, I think it's a very, very common thing. And you listen to like Brene Brown, she talks about shame and guilt like that. It controls right. us. So, yeah. And this is why the podcast, I wanted to have it to be able to talk and speak our truth about these things so that, Others don't yeah. feel so alone. And um, so good, Jennifer. Yeah. So, so good. I'm so glad you've created this space for people like me to share our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, really good. Um, I did want to ask you a few questions, um, Anna. Sure. One of them being if you could turn back time and talk to your younger self, what would you tell her? I love this question. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I feel like I want to go back and talk to my 22 or 23 year old self that was very sort of hopeful and naive um, and a little bit sort of um, wooed by a narcissist. Um, I just would say, take your time. Don't Mm -hmm. rush into marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, get to know them a little better, you know, spend a little more time and don't rush in. Um, So that's the advice that I give to my girls, um, my daughters, Mm -hmm. and I think they're listening to me. (laughs) But, um, but, you know, here's the thing, too, I don't regret getting married, Jennifer, you know, because we did have some good times, and we do have four wonderful kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's sort of this, um, mixed bag but yeah. I would definitely tell my 22 year old self to slow down take your time get to know them better before you rush into marriage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know my 30 to 40 year old self I would probably say you know let others know what's going on you're suffering and don't hold them in um, find someone to talk to and uh, figure this out because you know we're we're reaching a boiling point and we're suffering. So, Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I think I would say to my younger self. Mm -hmm. And I agree with what you said too. I have no regrets that I was 
married to him. And I, again, yeah. I same, I have three beautiful kids and um, I also, my experiences have brought me to where I am today and right. they've molded me into the person that I am, but yes. I would I would have the same kind of advice that you did as well. I have two daughters and they're the same. They're listening and not only get to know him a little better, get to know yourself better before you, oh, so you get good. to know someone. And, and, and honestly, we were young. We met at 16. Uh-huh. We were married in our young twenties and we didn't know ourselves. So right. I don't have any regrets either. I just want to be able to share with others that maybe are in the midst of it, that it's okay to put yourself first. Um, yes, and that's yes. Okay. it's not a selfish thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have um, to turn that empathetic or that empathy on ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's a learning. We we talked a little bit about, and I just kind of wanted to recap it um, with this question about mm-hmm. if you are feel like you're in an unsafe relationship or abusive relationship where your mental health is suffering, what tips? Um, can you give to other women about making a plan to escape or get out of an abusive relationship? And I know you talked about gathering um, yes. things like your passport. And Yeah, I will just say that again. I thought that was some of the best advice I got. Very practical advice. If you're getting ready to leave your home quickly, mm-hmm. if you're getting ready to flee, you know, gather important paperwork passport, birth certificate, social security cards for you and your children. Um, Gather your small valuables that would be easy for him to carry off and sell or pawn, you know, like Mm -hmm. the jewelry and your silver, Mm -hmm. put them in a safe place. The other thing I did, Jennifer, I, before I left, I made sure my cell phone plan, I moved my cell phone number to my own plan without Mm -hmm. him knowing it Mm -hmm. because I knew that would be a point of control so Mm. I got that all straightened out got my own plan with my and my daughter's um cell phones so we could keep our numbers and um I just thought that was some of the best advice I got and don't be afraid to get a restraining order if if you're scared for your safety Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I think it also helps to alert the police what is going on I actually made friends with or or got to know some of the police in my neighborhood or area because they knew my situation and they were like they would do things like drive by my house Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it can't hurt to let the local police know what's going on in your situation Mm -hmm. Um, so those are a few things I did no, that's really helpful. And I, thinking about the police part, um, I want people to understand that the restraining order, and even if you don't go that step, I've heard other women where they haven't had to get a restraining order, but they have made contact with the police in order to arrange where you book the police for the day that you're moving your things out. And yeah. basically they will wait at the um, the house and they will tell you or to tell your ex that this is the day I move my things out, you're not to be present, or sometimes they're allowed to be present because they want to say, okay, well, don't take this, but we agreed to this. Right. But the police are there just to make sure that everybody involved is 
behaving okay. And so the woman can move her stuff out without being fearful. And so I know that that's a service I'm in Canada. So I know that's something that they, they have done before um, where I don't think there had to be restraining order, but they wanted to make sure the peace was kept. And um, so I, I do advise that as well. Um, I guess I just wanted to ask, you know, if you could give any last advice to anyone who went through something like this, what would you tell them? You know, I've always um, felt like, like I would never tell someone you need to get out of your marriage. I think everybody needs to do their own soul searching. Mm-hmm. But I think the questions that I asked myself were, you know, is the bad outweighing the good, you know, in this marriage relationship? And am I suffering in this marriage? So. And I don't mean like, okay, we had a bad couple of months or we've had sort of a tough patch. I'm talking about long-term, you know, is the bad outweighing the good in this relationship in your life with this person? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think the other question to ask yourself is, are you suffering as a result of this relationship? You mm-hmm. know? Are you anxious and depressed? Have you lost yourself because of this? Um, And again, I, you know, I can't advise anyone to leave their husband, but I think these are questions that you can ask yourself and, and also just know that there are reasons to stay Mm -hmm. and there are also reasons to go, you know, so you may find some reasons to go, but it may not quite be the time to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's why I have, you know, compassion for myself. You know, sometimes they go, I stayed too long. Why did I stay so long? Well, there were reasons to stay. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but there were definitely reasons to go when I finally jumped ship basically and fled. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Annie, you've been so beautifully open and vulnerable. And I want to thank you so much. I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed and I was able to have you come on here and tell your story because I know it can be really hard sometimes. Um, but I think it's really important that the more we each, all of us share um, our struggles and what we've been through, um, we can hopefully help someone else maybe someone is listening who can resonate with your story and if we can help one other person i think that that is um a good place to be where that we are sharing openly um i know that you've got yourself some instagram and youtube channels i I would love if our listeners um, wanted to reach out to you. And I know you said earlier that you had like a baking channel and stuff, but I also know that you would be saying if you are interested in reaching out to you, not just because you want to see the fabulous stuff that you're doing with your pastries, but maybe they've been through something like you've been through and they just want to connect with you. I know that you'd be open to that. So can you tell us where can our listeners find you? Sure. So, um, like you said, so I've, you know, I feel like at this point in my life, I have time to sort of focus on fun things and things that I like and that mm-hmm. I'm passionate about. And I love to bake. So I do mm-hmm. have a um, YouTube 
uh, Instagram and Facebook channel called Anna's Pastry Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it's just for fun. And I have enjoyed putting out um, baking tutorials on there. But yeah, if anybody wants to reach out uh, on Facebook, I'm Anna Young. And I would welcome a message if, you know, if I can be a support to anyone who's listened today and mm-hmm. just wants to talk or, you know, is going through something similar. Absolutely. And I um, will make sure that I put the links to the YouTube and the Instagram that in the um, podcast you, show notes. Jennifer, that is so yeah. sweet. So if anyone want to reach out, I will say I have watched you doing your baking on your Instagram channel and I love it. Like you are such a natural you're in front so of the camera. Sweet. You're so, you're just so full of light and I can tell you love to bake. So I um, do. Yeah, they should, Thank you so anyone much. who wants to see that, to go check Anna out. She's amazing. Um, I did want to uh, let you know that we always end the interview by choosing a self-care card and you being the guest get to pick a number between one and 52. I've pre-shuffled the cards. These are Cheryl Richardson's self-care cards. Um, At some point, I'm going to make my own deck of cards. So I'm working on it. You should do that, Jennifer. What a great idea. I shared my digital self-care cards on my Instagram account. So on Sundays, you can come to my Instagram um, on self-care Sunday and I'll DM you your own personal uh, card. But for now, we've got a deck here of Cheryl Richardson's. Yeah. So what number would you like, Anna? See what card we I'm going to choose... I'm going to choose number 10 because that I think was one of my favorite ages, age 10. So let's do 10. Okay. So I was organized, pre-shuffled, did my little energy knocking and put them in piles of 10. So I wouldn't have to like dig through. So I love this card that you've pulled. This card is called dreams. Oh, and on the back, it says, think big there are unseen forces ready to support your dreams. Oh, isn't that a beautiful I card? Love that. Yes. Thank you. It's a great Jennifer. card for what you. What a lovely way to end. I will I take a so picture of it and send it to you in your, uh, in your you? DM. I will. That's a beautiful card. So if anyone sweet. who resonates with it, yeah, think big, everybody, and follow your dreams. They're so important. Um, yes. I actually... I have a saying that I like to say um, that says um, it's like an affirmation. And I say, I'm following my dreams. So my children will follow theirs. And it's something I say to women who are always putting themselves last, who, you know, I've got to put myself do this because of my kids. And I said, they're watching, they're watching everything you're doing. So you follow your dreams and you're giving them permission to do the same. So I really absolutely Mm -hmm. so good. Jennifer, thank you so much. You're You're doing good work here. Thank you. It's been such a joy to have you on here today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I just feel real kindred connection with you and it's been my pleasure to have you here. Um, Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I also want to say thank you to everyone for listening. And I do want to remind each and every one of you that you are worthy. You are beautiful. You are so much stronger than you think and you matter. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.
Thank you so much, my friends, for listening to today's podcast. I feel so honored to do this work, and I want you to know I'm here for you guys and that I'm committed to helping you on your journey, sharing pieces of myself, and I want you to know that this podcast is for me too as I learn to love myself a little more each day. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you each week, and I'll be coming to you on Sunday evenings. Oh, and one final thing I do want to tell you, I'm not only the host of the podcast, but I'm also the author of a healing journal for women and the founder of Butterfly Beauties Co., where I work with sponsors to gift the healing journals to women in shelters. So if you're looking for any more inspiration on self-love or you want to know about the healing journal, you can connect with me on my Instagram account at Butterfly Beauties Co. Thank you so much, loves, for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can hear future episodes. And I'm always looking for guests who want to share their stories or sponsors who want to give back so that together we can help each other heal and rise. Thank you for spending your time by listening. And remember, you are beautiful. You are worthy. You are stronger than you think, and you matter. Take care. Thanks for listening.